Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our In the World, Not of It series, which walks through the book of 1 Corinthians, showing how we are citizens of a better country. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you. We would love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, let's go to 1 Corinthians this morning. 1 Corinthians and chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians and chapter number 1 this morning. And I'm excited to be starting a, a brand new series, a brand new study in the book of Corinthians. And uh, how many of you have read through the book of Corinthians before? All right, good. A great, good number of us read through the book. And, and some of you, it might be your very first encounter with the book of Corinthians. We're going to have a great time studying out this book and uh, going through a series, going to be calling it uh, In the World, Not of It. In the World, but not of the world. And we'll see what that means in just a moment. Have you ever, uh, you ever been through um, a line or you've bought something before only to get home and realize that you did not get everything you had purchased? Or maybe you got home and what you got was actually, you, you got shorted in what you got. Uh, perhaps you've been on a trip. You know, you go through the drive through and if you're a family like ours right now, of course, we're just with our three kids, but then the others that are in the house. So, uh, you know, um, what is, how many do we have now? Eight, 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 six kids, eight people total. Uh, you know, we go through the drive-thru and you've ever gone through a drive-thru and you order everybody food and, and at the point of like some people in this auditorium, like the Thomas family, once you hit like five kids, you don't ask like, what do you want? It's just like, I'm ordering two dozen burgers you get what you get, you know, we're just, we're just doing that. And uh, I know we're, we've gone through lines before and we'll order food only to open up your bag on a road trip and you're already on the freeway heading, the op- heading, heading down the way you're going only to look in and go, man, they only gave us half of our order. That looks like you kids aren't eating today, you know? <laughs> and we've all had that happen, haven't we? The, the other uh, couple weeks ago, Hannah went to the grocery store, and, and she uh, had d- done her normal grocery run. And on this particular day, I came home while she was uh, cooking lunch or, or dinner. I forget which meal it was. But I, I walked in to hear, oh, you've got to be kidding me. And I, I just opened the garage door, walked in, and said, well, what, what happened? She's like, look at this. Look at this. And she had two boxes of noodles making a pasta. And she goes, look, look, look in this one. It's full. She said, look in this one. I literally just opened it. And I'm not exaggerating to say it was probably only a quarter full of noodles. And she's like, we got gypped. Man, we got shorted. Man, don't you hate when you don't get what you pay for? Don't you hate when you don't get what you're expecting? You're expecting to open up a box of noodles and see it filled with noodles. You're expecting to open up that drive through bag and, and get what you ordered. You ever gone to open up a Christmas gift that you thought was one thing and you're excited for it? Oh, they, I know they got that. I know, I know my husband, my wife. I know mom and dad got that for me. I know. And you open it up only to find out it was closed. My parents uh, normally, of course, sit one side or the other. My dad's not feeling well today, so they're not here. We'll watch it online. 
but uh, I was going to talk about them because my dad, my dad's famous for getting us and the family things that like, why'd you get that? Well, it's practical. Well, I don't want practical. And I remember plenty of Christmas gifts. And if my mom was here, she'd be snorting at this. (laughs) And uh, she would open up the gift expecting one thing. And I'm not exaggerating to say she would find a box of clothespins. And dad would be like, well, it's practical. You're out of those. She's like, well, that's not what I was, that's not what I was expecting. You know what? Many times we've done that. We've opened up the bag. We've opened up the groceries. We've opened up a gift, and it's not what we are expecting. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, many people who would call themselves Christians, many of us, we look at the Christian life, and sometimes if we're not careful, we feel like we've been shorted. We feel like we've been gypped. You say, well, pastor, what do you mean? I mean it like this, that there's times in our life that we look around and we look at what it seems other people have in their Christian walk and we think, well, I didn't get that. Like uh, forgiveness. We look at somebody else and how they can forgive and we think, well, I, I didn't get the gift of forgiveness. That just didn't come. That just didn't come when I trusted Christ. Well, I I didn't get what they got. I didn't get the grace that they got. I didn't get the mercy that they got. I don't feel like I got everything that other people talk about. I, I I didn't get that kind of love. I didn't get, and if we're not careful, at times we can look at the Christian life, and although we're thankful to be saved, and although we're thankful that we know Christ is in our life, and that heaven is where we'll spend eternity, if we're not careful, At times, we could look at the Christian life and think, I didn't get what somebody else got. But this morning, what I'd like to do is go to the book of Corinthians and discover the very simple truth that every single one of us, when you got saved, if you know Christ as your Savior, he gave you everything you need to live as a Christian. He gave you everything you need to be a, if I can use it this way, and and I, I use it lightly, to be a successful Christian, to be a Christian who walks with God and a Christian who experiences God's presence and a Christian who knows forgiveness and grace and mercy and and a Christian who knows love and a Christian who doesn't have to look around and say, well, I didn't get what they got. No, when you trusted Christ, when I trusted Christ, we all got the same thing. We got exactly what we need for this journey called the Christian journey. We're going to see it in the book of Corinthians today, but first, we need to understand context. The book of Corinthians has so much for us. It has so much for us. When you go to the book of Corinthians, what you're going to discover is a letter from Paul written to a church that he started. If you were to really try to uh, diagnose all the book of Corinthians and, and, well, what, what is he trying to say Really, Paul is getting across this message. Although you live in the world, although you live in culture, although you live around people who don't know God, you and I, we are called to be different. You and I, we are called to be in the world, but not of the world. Let's learn a little bit about Corinth, though. If you were to go to a map, you would discover some things about Corinth, if I can get this to pull up here. 
There we go. Uh, Corinth, of course, when you look at Corinth, this was a major area in the known world at the time. Of course, Corinth was the capital of Achaia, which would be a Roman province. Uh, population at this time, some believe probably around maybe 500,000 people would have lived in Corinth. It was a, a place that was a, a known destination that many people wanted to go. Corinth was one of those places that really, it has a rich history even before Rome established it. As a matter of fact, in 146 BC, Corinth was, of course, under different rule. It was still under the Romans, but under different rule and, and uh, got conquered. A hundred years later, Julius Caesar would come on the scene and he would rebuild Corinth and actually he would name it after himself. He would, uh, he would name it the Col- Colony of Corinth in honor of Julius. And what, what he did to really to really establish Corinth as this incredible city in the day and age in which he lived, is he encouraged all of the retired military people, anybody who served in the Roman Empire's empire's, uh, military, if you retired, you could go live in Corinth for free. You get everything for free in Corinth. Now, if you know strategy in war or strategy in defending places that are key places, That is a smart move. Well, why is that a smart move? Well, Corinth is a key place because of trade. We're going to see it in just a minute. And he knew if I can put a bunch of retired military people there, I'm going to not only have a military strength, but we're also going to have the respect of the... I mean, they they love their country. So they're always going to be devout to Rome. We don't have to worry about Corinth ever having an uprising. And they also did this. They said not only can the military move there and live... But all of the freed slaves, anybody who has purchased their own freedom under the government of Rome, could move there. And so at one time, they believed that Corinth, right after Julius Caesar did that, that over 200,000 people moved into Corinth. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a town uh, at that time, probably just maybe 100,000, literally tripling in just a matter of of a couple of years? I mean, Corinth was the place to be. Well, fast forward uh, another 50 or 60 years, you fast forward to the time of Christ, and we know that Corinth is still under the Roman Empire. But then you fast forward to when Paul would come into Corinth. Probably in 63, 64 AD. Now, I say Corinth was a strategic location because of where it's set. Corinth sits on the south end of what's called the, you ready? It's called the Isthmus, Isthmus, I-S-T-H-M-U-S, Isthmus. It's a narrow strip of land that connects northern Greece to southern Greece. And Corinth stood right on the Isthmus. Now you say, well, pastor, why does, why does all this matter? I'm going somewhere with this. Just stay with me. In Corinth, you could travel to Corinth and you could get from Corinth. You could go all the way, uh, you could go all the way west and get all the way to Rome. Or you could go east and go all the way to, to Jerusalem or to Egypt. And what people would do is they would actually go to Corinth. Ships would come to Corinth and they would, they, it's, it's absolutely incredible when you do the research. Ships would come to Corinth, and instead of going 
200 miles around the southern thing and wasting all that time, they would, they would sail in to Centria or to right there by Corinth, and they would literally small boats, they would tow them up out of the water, and they put them on a road. The, the road would be called, let me look it up, it's, the, it's Dialkos, D-I-O-L-K-O-S. They literally had hundreds of logs that they had stripped down to be perfect cylinders, perfect, basically big tires, and they would, load, they would pull that boat, that ship, up on, on top of those logs, and one, they would just keep moving logs around the front of it and roll that ship across that four-mile stretch, literally saving hours and hours and hours of sail time, uh, saving lives even because of the, the storms that would be on the sea, saving much uh, merchandise and payment. I mean, there's just a lot of things. So what this means is that Corinth saw a lot of traffic. Corinth was, at this time, probably the most popular city in the world. Corinth would have the largest mall, the largest mall in the world. Now, they wouldn't call it a mall. It'd be called a marketplace. Or in Corinth, it was called the Agora. It was the largest shopping center in the known world at the time, larger than even Rome. You think of Rome and the Colosseum and everything that they had going on there. Corinth had a bigger shopping center and a bigger marketplace than anywhere else in the world. You say, Pastor, why are you, why are you bringing all of this up? I just want to point out that Corinth was the place to be. It, it was great for trade. Corinth was great for uh, shopping. Corinth was great for a new start. Man, if you're a military person, you could bring your family, live for free. If you're an ex-slave, you can bring your family and you can live for cheap. And, and listen, you're going to have security. You could get a new start. It was the type of place. Now, in our generation, really people can go in one generation from, from ruin to riches. Back then, you couldn't do that. But in Corinth, you could. In Corinth, you could go as a slave from ruin and you could, you could move up and be one of the richest people in the area just in one generation. I mean, Corinth was a place to be. But Corinth also had a dark side. As a matter of fact, Corinth, while it was one of the most popular cities to live in, Corinth was also one of the most immoral cities to live in. It was known for its giant hill. You can see the hill in the back of the picture right outside of the Agora. And that hill was called the Acropolis. And the Acropolis, it was a fortress, a military fortress, but it was more than that. On top of the Acropolis, there was a, a massive temple that they had built to the goddess of Aphrodite. Now, Aphrodite would be the goddess of, of love. We would say the goddess of lust. In order to make money for the temple, and I will not uh, um, expound on anything today, but in order to make money for the temple, they literally brought in 1,000 slave girls and made them temple prostitutes. These girls would have no choice. They were literally slaves for sex trafficking. Things were so bad with the temple that if someone was rich enough 
and they wanted to do something to honor Corinth. Corinth was just such that place that had such a pull on society and, and people and everything there. It was a place that if you wanted to honor Corinth, you would actually give slave girls to the temple to be prostituted for the praise of Aphrodite and for the betterment of Corinth. It was a very immoral place. Roman history actually records that Corinth was such a bad place that they had an adjective for other people throughout the known world, and that adjective was called a Corinthian. If you were ever called a Corinthian, oh, you're just being a Corinthian. That was a, one of the most derogatory, isn't this interesting? At that time, being called a Corinthian was one of the most derogatory statements that could be said to you. It's said that in Roman theater, a Corinthian was always somebody who was a drunken person or a woman with low morals. In the, in the theater, they would portray a Corinthian always. They were a drunken man or a woman with, with low morals. It was just a place that was immoral. Not only was it immoral, but Corinth was steeped in religious plurality. They had temples. Number one, they had temples to Caesar, of course, anybody would worship Caesar in the Roman Empire. You had to have a temple to Caesar and worship him as a god. They had to have a, a, a temple to Apollos. Though it would be in ruin for years, it was still there. Epaphrodite, like we mentioned, Hermes, or uh, the Ephesian god Isis or Poseidon. They had temples to all of these different gods. So it was a place to live for trade and for a new start and all of these things. But it was also a very immoral place, a very religious place, but a very lost place. If I were to be honest today, it sounds a little bit like uh, our country, doesn't it? Sounds a little bit like the U.S. But pastor, the U.S. is a Christian nation. No, not anymore. No, the U.S. is a place where you can go from ruin to riches in one generation. The U.S. is a place of opportunity. The U.S. is a place of, of trade and a place of commerce and a place where the known world wants to be. But the U.S. is also a very immoral place. The U.S. is also lifting up different gods and religions. Oh, it may not be the God of Poseidon or the God of, of Aphrodite or, or the God of uh, these different ones that were listed, but it's the God of riches the God of money. It's the God of fame. It's the God of self-promotion. It's religious pluralism. It's uh, worship whatever. Our country's philosophy and, and Corinth's philosophy was the same. People, people don't know what to believe, and so it's just kind of like, well, you have your religion. I have mine. You affirm me, and I'll affirm you, and if you don't affirm me, then you're a bigot. And if you don't affirm me, then, then you shouldn't live here. And that, that's kind of the philosophy. And you say, Pastor, why are you bringing this up? Because throughout our series, I'm going to refer to Corinth in the U.S. being very similar. But here's what happens in the book of Acts in chapter number 18 is Paul, God's messenger, moves into Corinth. And Paul is there for 18 months. Paul leads a number of people to Christ, and he would start an incredible church. But when Paul gets there, Paul is discouraged. He has just come from Athens. 
He gets to Corinth, he's discouraged, he's frustrated, he doesn't know uh, exactly what's going on in his own life. You can go and read in Thessalonians how he wrote this in Acts 18. It's all very interesting study. But here's what God says to Paul when he gets to Corinth in Acts 18. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, and he said, be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace for or because I am with you, I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. Well, God, why are you with me? I love the next line. For I have much people in this city. And he, Paul, continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. You know what? Paul went into Corinth and he realized, man, this is a wicked place. Man, this is a place that desperately needs God. But I've already been through some crazy trials. Go read Acts 17 and find out what Paul had just gone through. And Paul's thinking, I don't know if I want to continue. And yet God comes to him through his word. And God says, hey, Paul, listen, I've got people here that are going to believe. Hey, Paul, just keep preaching. And you know what Paul does as Paul preaches? Paul speaks and Hundreds of people get saved. Probably thousands of people trust Christ. And so Paul, he spends that year and a half with these people and begins this great work. And he leaves. He's gone for a couple of years and he hears through people, and we'll see all this through the series. He hears that Corinth is struggling, that the church is struggling, that all of the uh, religiosity of the, the city and all of the immorality, all of it's kind of creeping into the church. And so Paul writes back to them this letter. It would actually, 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter that Paul would write to them. We don't have the first one on record. But Paul would write back to them and say, hey, listen, I want to encourage you that while you are in the world, you're not of the world. Hey, I want to encourage you that even though culture is thick and things are immoral, and I want, to, I want you to see that even though things are going downhill, that God has something better for you. And I love how Paul starts the letter this morning, and that's what we're going to get into. You say, Pastor, we are already halfway through the message, and you're just getting to the message. It's okay. The message is shorter than the introduction. All right, let's stand. Let's stand and read our opening passage this morning as we look in this story of 1 Corinthians chapter number one, this opening letter to this church that he's about to write some hard things to. Paul is going to correct this church. There's gonna be some hard messages that Paul gives to this church, but I want you to notice how he opens up the letter. 1 Corinthians chapter one, verses one through nine, it says this, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. So what this is saying, Paul is dictating a letter to Sosthenes, who is writing it down. That's, that's all that means right there. It says this. <clears throat> it says, Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything you, you are enriched by him in all utterance, 
and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I love the opening because here's these people, and I want you to picture it with me. Here's these people that have trusted Christ. They've only known Jesus for just a few years, and they're living among what we just described, all of that immorality and religious plurality. And they're, they're living among all of this, and some of it is kind of creeping into the church, into the, the believers, and many of them, no doubt, struggling and thinking, is this, is this all there is to the Christian life? I mean, is it supposed to be this hard? Am I supposed to be struggling this much? And as Paul is about to correct them on some things, what I find in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 through 9, is Paul helping them understand, hey, listen, when you trusted Christ and when I trusted Christ, we got the exact same thing. You didn't get gypped in your salvation. You didn't get shorted in what God put into your life to enable you to live the Christian life. And today I want to say this before we pray and jump in the message, that you may be living in our culture. And if you're like me, there's some days where I go, man, it's tough to be a Christian in our culture. Man, it's tough to, it's tough to be faithful in our culture. Man, it's tough to, to be that person to stand up for the Lord at work. It's tough to be that person to have the right testimony with my neighbors and my loved ones that don't know the Lord. Man, it can be tough. I want to encourage you this morning that wherever you're at on that spectrum of looking at it and saying it's tough or maybe thinking, well, I've got this, that wherever you are, when you got saved, you and I were given exactly what we need to faithfully live the Christian life. So I hope this message will be a help to us as we experience that this morning. Let's pray and get right into it. Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for your word. I pray this morning, God, that you would help us to realize and understand that you have given us exactly what we need to live for you. I pray that this would be an encouraging message. I pray that it would be a challenging message. And Lord, I pray that you'd be glorified through it. If there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Savior, God, I pray that today they put their faith and their trust completely in you. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. I want to say this morning that if we're not careful, that we, like the people of Corinth, we can allow culture to dictate our Christianity. And all too often, Christians can begin to think that things are too much of a mess to really make a difference for Christ. We can think that somebody around us is, is too far gone for God to reach. We can think that our culture is too far gone that God can't work. And, and let's be honest today, and, and I just want us to know that we're all kind of in the, same, in the same company, but if you've ever been there to think, you know what, I don't know if God can do much with the culture we're in. If you've ever thought that, slip your hand up with me this morning. My hand's up. I've thought that. And I, I just don't know. I mean, I know we serve a powerful God, but man, things are crazy. That's what Corinth was living in. 
That's what the believers of Corinth were in when they were living there in Corinth. And if we're not careful, we can begin to allow culture to dictate what we believe God can do. And we can allow culture to dictate our Christianity and to kind of shape how we live for the Lord. We can think that we're just not wired like other believers. Well, they, they, they do good, but not like, nah, I, I could never be like them. I could never be like Paul. I could never, and we can have this mentality of just kind of like, well, I'm just going to hold on till Jesus comes. You know, things aren't ever going to get better. They're only going to get worse. So let's just hang on till he comes. The ship's going down. There's no hope. So just hold on for dear life. But if we think that, I want us to understand this morning we're wrong. And just as God could work through a Corinthian Christian in their corrupt culture, God can and wants to work through you and I in our corrupt culture. And even though we are in the world, we are not of the world. God gives us exactly what we need. All right, pastor, well, what has God given me that I need from this passage? I want us to see, first of all, today that when we become a Christian of God, or excuse me, a child of God, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, we are sanctified in him. We are sanctified by him, excuse me. We are sanctified by him. Notice as Paul opens up, verse number one, Paul says, says this, Paul called to be an apostle of God or of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. Hey, I'm an apostle. That word apostle, it means sent one. I'm, I'm being sent. I'm being commissioned by God to, to give this to you. Sosthenes is writing it and I'm sending it unto, verse two, the church of God, which is at Corinth. But notice what he says. To them that are sanctified in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. To them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace be unto you, peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we see in these verses? Well, in these verses, as well as throughout the entire book, what you're going to discover is Paul putting emphasis upon Jesus Christ. You say, well, where do we see that? Well, you're sanctified in Jesus Christ. You're, uh, you, you, you are saints because you called upon the name of Jesus Christ. And I, I'm praying that grace and peace would be in your life because of Jesus Christ. We need to always remember that while the Word of God has a lot for us, we have to know that the Word of God is always pointing to Jesus. I heard it said this way recently, the true goal of the apostle is to bring Christ into view and to provide an uninterrupted view of Christ. Now, now why would this matter? Why would it matter that he's bringing us to look at Jesus because of the phrase where he says in verse number two, to the sanctified and to the saints. To the sanctified and to the saints. That word saints right there, many people, when we hear the word saint, we think of maybe uh, some dead Christians who have gone before. Well, those, those people, those are saints. And you hear people talk about Saint Peter and Saint Mark and, and all of that stuff. Listen, that, that's not what this word is. No, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, the word saint is your word. It, it, it's you. It's me. What does it mean? It, it means saved by God. 
You're a saint. You are saved by God. But not only are you saved by God, you and I, we are sanctified by God. Do you see that in verse number two when he says, to them who are sanctified? To them who are sanctified? That word sanctified, it means to be set apart. It's a great word. It means to be set apart. Well, set apart for what? You're set apart for God. To be sanctified. I'll explain it this way, that when you and I trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, sanctification, it is the whole process after salvation. Sanctification, once you got saved, so for me, when I trusted Christ in in July of, of 2003, I was saved. And you know what? I was saved from the penalty of sin. I'm not going to go to hell. Man, aren't you thankful you're not going to hell? Aren't you thankful that because of Jesus Christ, you have uh, eternal life in heaven? You are promised eternal life in heaven. Man, I'm so thankful for that. And so I am set apart from hell. I'm not going to hell. That's at the end of my life, though. But sanctification is the process all the way to that. What does this mean? Well, it means that as I go along in my Christian life, God is not only, I'm not only saved from the penalty of sin, but in my Christian life, God has given me the power. I'm saved over the power of sin. I'm saved over the power of sin. I'm I'm justified. I'm made right with God. Sin no longer has dominion in my my life and in my flesh. Go look Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. Sin no longer can reign in my life. Why? Because I'm justified in him. But But this is the sanctification process. And then one day I'm going to be saved from the mere presence of sin. That's glorification. So you have salvation, justification, and glorification, but all of it is under the word sanctification. You're set apart. Well, how does this, how does this help me, and how would it help them in understanding that we're given what we need to live for God in our culture? Well, I think it can mean this to help us understand that when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you now have salvation. But not only do you have salvation, but you have purpose. To be sanctified means that I have purpose with God. I am set apart unto God. And every single day of your life and my life, God says that he is helping you and helping me become more like Jesus. And every day, all of the ups and all of the downs of life, it is part of sanctification. It is part of setting me aside for him. And every day, God is working in your life to fulfill the purpose of making you and I more like Jesus. And the fact of the matter is this, that you and I, we can always have confidence that no matter what comes, God wants to use it to make me more like him. Paul said it this way in the book of Philippians. He said, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this morning, have you ever noticed someone in your life, you ever had somebody in your life who tried to convince you that what you were doing was pointless? Hey, don't worry about learning that instrument. You're never gonna get it down. Hey, don't play that sport. You're just not a natural athlete. Why are you putting so much time into that? I mean, you're not going to be famous. You're not going to go anywhere with that. Can I say in our Christian life that the devil, the devil likes to climb up on your shoulder and he likes to say, hey, what's the point? What's the point of loving your spouse? They don't love you back like you deserve. 
Hey, what's the point of being a steward with your time? I mean, what's the point? It's your time. It's your schedule. Hey, what's the point of investing in that relationship? Hey, what's the point of controlling your tongue? Hey, what's the point of just going through life and being faithful? What's the point? I mean, nothing's going to really come out of this, but I'm here to say this morning that if you know Christ as your Savior, then you and I, we can know that not only are we saved, not only am I a saint with God, but I am sanctified. I have purpose. He has set me apart to make me like Christ. Listen, God is working, so stay faithful. He gave you the process of sanctification. When you trusted Christ, God said, great, I have a destination for you. I have a purpose for you. And I'm going to use everything in your life to help you be more like me. You know what these people at Corinth needed to hear? They needed to hear, hey, even though you're in a culture that is corrupt and you're in a religious plurality and you have seen seen all this immorality, hey, listen, God is still at work in your life. You are sanctified. You are set apart. We have exactly what we need to live for the Lord because when we become a child of God, we're sanctified by him. But not only are we sanctified by him, we are strengthened by him. We are strengthened by him. I love this thought. And if there was one point that we would spend the most time on today, it would be this. But I'm just going to briefly go through this. Verse number four, he says, I thank my God always on your behalf. Now, in our casual readings of passages, usually we don't catch a lot of what is really said. But here's what I think is interesting. If you know the book of Corinthians, um, there's a preacher's term that I'm going to give you right now. Uh, The book of Corinthians is a a rip-face book. You say, well, what is a rip-face book? A rip-face book is, it's like a rip-face sermon. Oh, all right, great. What's a rip-face sermon? You ever been sitting in a message? I've been sitting in them, and you felt like the pastor or the guy preaching, whoever it was, like knew about your last week or your last month or your last year, and you literally feel like you're the only person sitting in the auditorium, and everything he's saying is like, It's like God's going like, how dare you do, you know, and you're just thinking like, man, it's a rip face sermon. They, we used to say it this way. They rip your face off, throw it on the ground, stomp on it a little bit and pick it up and try to patch it back together. Paul is writing a rip face letter. He's about to get onto them about some crazy things. Listen, in the church of Corinth, there was a man in the church that literally was, uh, was engaged in a relationship with um, like his stepmom. That, that's, that's, you're like, that's in the Bible? Yeah, it's crazy. Paul ripped face on it. They were allowing, they were allowing some of this, uh, the immorality sneak in the church. People were, were being factionalized within the church. They were fighting each other in the church, like literally fighting over who, who they wanted to follow. Well, I follow Paul. Well, I follow Apollos. Well, I follow Peter. Well, I follow Jesus Christ. And literally like arguing within the church, Paul, like he rips face on it. You know what I love? Look at verse four. He's about to, I mean, he's about to get into some heavy things. And you know what he says to him? Hey, I thank God for you. This is just a side thought this morning, but you know what? Sometimes before you and I begin to correct people around us, maybe we should just stop and thank God for them. This is what Paul's doing. Man, I thank God for you. But notice what he says. 
He says, I thank God always on your behalf for the grace of God, which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything you are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge. I love this phrase because he says, I'm specifically thankful for the grace of God that's given to you by Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the fact that no matter what is going on in your life, you have God's grace in your life. That's what Paul is saying. There are two different types of grace that are mentioned in Scripture. One is a saving grace. That's like the verse, you're saved by grace. It's an unmerited favor. We are saved, made right before God because of the grace of God. But then also, there is a strengthening grace. This is like what Paul writes about when he says, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My my strength, my undeserved empowering is sufficient for you. And when you read the word grace, you have to figure out, well, how does it fit in the context of this passage? Well, in this passage, the word grace, it literally means God's strengthening power. So Paul says, I'm thankful for God's strengthening power being in your life. Matter of fact, you are enriched. The word enriched, it means made wealthy. Some of you know agriculture a little bit, and you know the phrase of a rich soil. A rich soil, it's wealthy in nutrients and wealthy in, in the things that that, that plant or that that, uh, that that seed is going to need. Here's what Paul said. Hey, when you trusted Christ, God's grace, his strengthening power made you wealthy. In what? In utterance, knowing what to say and how to say it, and in knowledge, knowing what to say. In utterance, knowing how to say. In knowledge, knowing what to say. What's what's Paul saying to them? What's he getting at? He's getting at simply this thought, that his grace is at work in you, and you lack nothing you need in the Lord unto the day of Christ. Look at verse number seven. Look at seven. Don't miss verse number seven. It's key for these these first few verses. He says this, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That phrase, so that you come behind in no gift, it literally means, hey, you don't fall short in God's grace or God's strength in your life. You don't come behind or, or fall short. You're given the same amount of grace and strength and enabling that any other Christian is given. And you and I, listen this morning, if we're not careful, we can look at the scripture and we can look at somebody like Paul and we could say, I will never be a Christian like Paul. I will never be able to reach people like Paul. I can never like, and we we begin to point at other people and we begin to feel like we've been shorted. But here's Paul writing to the believers at Corinth and to me and you saying, hey, listen, when you got saved, you got the same amount of grace and God's strength in your life as I did in my life. And I want you to understand this morning as a pastor that you got the same amount of grace that Pastor Dennis got. And I I would not at all say this in a a, uh, proud way at all, but people oftentimes they'll say, well, pastor, I mean, this is what you do. 
Pastor, I mean, this is your life. I mean, you probably have a, a perfect family and a perfect marriage. And Pastor, you probably never struggle with this or never struggle with that. No, 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 no. Listen, my friend, you and I, we have the same struggles. We're in the same flesh and you're given the same grace that I'm given. And you get up in the mornings and go to work just like I get up in the mornings and go to work. And although my workplace may be different than your workplace, I still need God's grace and God's strength, just like you need God's grace and God's strength. I still need God's grace and strength when I'm driving down the highway, just like you need God's strength when you're driving down the highway. I still need God's grace and strength to not just fly off the cuff and say something ridiculous and try to tear somebody down and build myself up. I need God's grace to do that just like you and I, just like you need God's grace to do that. And that's what Paul is saying. Hey, you come behind in no gift. You come behind in no thing. God gave you the same amount of strengthening grace that Paul got and that the person next to you got and that anybody else who knows Christ, you got the same grace to live for God. You don't need anything else. Man, what a thought this morning. What a good truth this morning. I found the quote said this, the weakest, I love it, the weakest, most ignorant and fallible believer has precisely the same relationship in grace as the most illustrious saint. Hey, you got the same strengthening power as anybody else who trusted Christ as Savior. You say, well, pastor, why is this good for us to know? Because the devil's going to come alongside you and he's going to say, hey, God doesn't strengthen you like he strengthens them. God doesn't work in your life like he worked in their life. God can't because uh, God can't do this in your life like he did with theirs. And you know what? You need to say, no, 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 no. I got the same enablement that they got. I got the same Holy Spirit that they got. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, Paul wrote this, God is able to make all grace abound, grow toward you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. You're given enough strength to grow in God each and every day. 2 Corinthians 6, 1, we then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Hey, don't allow God's grace to be uh, ineffective, to be vain in your life. When you trusted Christ, you received strength, grace to live for him. Hey, friend, I don't know where you're at, but that's encouraging to me this morning. And I read that this week, and, you, and because uh, there, there's times, and I've said it before, man, I, I have a lot of people, I str- I'll tell you right now, I struggle with discouragement. There's times in my life that I just get discouraged and nobody would ever know it. My wife might know it. My parents might be able to see it on my face, but nobody would ever know it. You know what? There's times in my life that I get discouraged and I think, man, I, uh, there's no way that I could pastor like Paul pastored. There's no way that I could lead. There's no, there's no way that I could, and I begin doing all, there's no way I could be a dad or a, a parent or a husband like I need to be. You know what I need? I need to remember every single day that God said, no, there is. I gave you the strength. Quit leaning into you. Quit leaning into your own thoughts. Quit leaning into what you know or don't know and start leaning into what we already have. If if you've trusted Christ as Savior, you've got his strength to live for him. What a thought this morning. Man, we've been given exactly what we need to live for him because when we become a child of God, we become sanctified in him. We are saved and given purpose. We become strengthened by him. We have his grace and his enabling for every part of the Christian life. And lastly this morning, we are secured through him. And we are secured through him. Verse 7, 
The second part says, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who also, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you see verse number nine. Everybody look at your Bible. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter one and verse number nine, if you have it there open. If not, it's okay, but just, what's the first three words? You see at verse number nine, it says, God is faithful. God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hey, those verses there, you know what they're saying? We're waiting for his coming. Man, one day he could come back. We did a funeral yesterday down in Warden for Ken Wood. Some of you might remember Mary Wood, who was in our church for a number of years and moved to the west side. Ken passed away in, in December. We had his, his service yesterday in Warden. And Jim Kimball, uh, Jim led the, the graveside service, being a friend of Ken for years. And, and Jim said there, as we're there at the graveside, he is talking about the fact that one day there's, there's bodies going to raise up out of, the, out of the grave. What was he talking about? He's saying, hey, one day, one day the rapture is going to take place. And the Bible says that every single person that knows him Man, we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. Now, we know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but there's something miraculous there that's talking about how our body is going to be joined with the Spirit. And you say, Pastor, explain that. I can't. When we get to heaven, I'll be like, oh, that's how it worked. Do you see that? That's how it worked. I can't explain all that, but I know right now that in, the Bible says in the moment, in 1 Corinthians 15, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, uh, man, that the last trump, we know the trumpet's going to sound, and in that moment, we're going to be in the presence of God. He could come back any moment. Paul is saying, hey, we could, he could come back at any single moment. But what you need to remember and what I remember is God is faithful. Well, what's that mean? Uh, you're secure in him. Hey, no matter what happens in life, if you trusted Christ as your savior, you're secure. You're in Jesus's hand and his hand is in the father's hand and no man will pluck you out of his hand. And there's religions out there, they want to say, well, no, no, no. Every time you sin, every time you mess up, you need to trust Christ again. No, my Jesus only had to die once. And my Jesus said that when I get saved, I'm not going to be made perfect yet. But I stand before God and Jesus stands in my stead. And I can't lose that. Paul said it this way in the book of Romans, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, uh, neither height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse number 37 of Romans 8, our theme for the year, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Hey, you know what? You, you know what you were given when you got saved? You were given eternal security in him. What a good thought. Man, I'm... I'm I'm sanctified by him. I'm strengthened by him. I'm secured by him. And I'll say this morning that we have this confidence not because we are good, but because he is good. Not because we're making progress, but because he made a promise. And the thought is this, that God, listen, God is never going to quit on you. Hey, I'm going to say that again, and maybe you need to write it down. Maybe you need to put it in your phone as a reminder this Wednesday at, at 9.30 at work. You need, to, you need to have your phone remind you, hey, God is never going to quit on you. And the fact of the matter is, <clears throat> this morning as we get ready to close, that 
God loves you. He loves me. And he's given us exactly what we need to live for him. All right, pastor, well, what does this, what's this do for me this week? How can I apply it right now? I want to apply it this way, that this week when the devil comes and tells you that you can't measure up, when the devil comes this week and says you can't follow through, <clears throat> when the devil says this week that you, you can't lead your family like God wants you to, that you can't control your temper, that you can't forgive that person. When the devil comes and says, hey, you didn't get what they got, when the devil whispers these doubts in your head this week, just remind him, no, 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 I am saved and given a purpose. I am a recipient of God's enabling, strengthening grace. Every single day, God gives me what I need. And I am completely insecure in him. And the completion and the security in God, it helps us remember this, that there are days that I may quit on God, but God will never quit on me. That doesn't give me an excuse to quit on God. No, actually, all of these things, listen, all of these things should remind me of the love that God has for me, and they should be a motivation to live for him because I love him. Man, somebody that's done all of this for me, somebody that loves me this much, I don't want to live for him because I'm scared of him. I don't want to live for him because if I don't, then maybe he's going to strike me dead. No, no, no. I want to live for him because he loves me. And since he loves me, I want to love him back. And I want that love to be my motivation this week to realize that although I live in a corrupt culture and in a world that does not want anything to do with God, and although I live in a post-Christian nation, listen, we serve an incredible God that says, I give you every single thing that you need. And all I ask is that you would just love me in return. Man, just love him in return this week. And step out by faith and live for him. The Christian life really is that simple. Realize that God gave you and I exactly what we need. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.